There on the hillside is Jesus, surrounded by his disciples. Matthew tells us about four of them. There's Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. There's James and his brother John. They're all fishermen. And these fellows from Galilee, they're not especially educated uh, or wealthy or powerful. They are average guys from an average place. And around the disciples, there's a fairly large crowd that's gathered. Some folks have come from a ways away to hear this preacher, Jesus. Others are locals. Some of them must know these disciples. And all of them are much like the disciples. They are fishermen or farmers or stay-at-home moms or factory workers. They're all average folks from an average place. And they're there gathered to listen to Jesus. Jesus begins his sermon with some surprising blessings, which Nicole shared with us last Sunday. But Jesus goes on to say something even more surprising, that these very average disciples are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In Greek, that word world is cosmos, that these disciples, they're not just the best and brightest of Galilee, they are the best and brightest of all people, these average fishermen. Now the crowd must be thinking, Jesus, you're joking, or you've totally lost it. How could these, how could these fishermen be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? Because the crowd, they probably know something about these disciples. They know, they know that Simon Peter is stubborn and thick-headed. They know that Andrew is always late to synagogue. They know that James swears like a fisherman. And they know that his brother John is always exaggerating about his catch. I swear the fish was this big. The crowd knows these disciples aren't anyone special. And yet Jesus looks these disciples in the eyes and says, You, 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 and you, you are the light of the world. How could Jesus say that? The only way Jesus' words can be true are if Jesus' words are more than just words. If Jesus' words don't just describe reality, but they create reality. That when Jesus speaks, he speaks as a king speaks. <laughs> when Jesus speaks, what he says must be true. It must happen that way. When God said, let there be light, there was light. And when Jesus says, you are the light, the disciples must be the light. When Jesus called Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, did they say, hold on a second, Jesus, let, let me talk this over. 
What do you What do you think about this guy? You think should we follow him? I don't know. Was there a discussion? No. Immediately they dropped their nets and followed Jesus. And when Jesus sees James and John, did these did they say? Hold on, Jesus, let me talk to our dad, Zebedee. Dad, can, can we go with this Jesus? Can we? No. Immediately, they left their boat and they left their father and followed Jesus. Because when Jesus speaks, things happen. A new reality is created. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, it must be true. But how can it be true? How can these average fishermen be the light of the world? We have to ask ourselves this today. Do we believe what Jesus says about us? And will we live like it's true? Do we believe what Jesus says about us, that we are salt and light? Do we believe that? And will we go out to live like it's true of us? The world tells us You should become whoever you want to be. Be all you can be. But Jesus says, you are already more than you can imagine. So be who you are. Be who you already are. You are light, so live as light. But we look in the mirror and all we see is an average or below-average disciple of Jesus. And we doubt that there is light in us. We doubt who we are. And we spend so much of our lives trying to find out who we are. But Jesus says, you are light. And Jesus knows the temptations we face. Jesus understands our struggles and doubts because he's faced them himself. And he warns us of two lies, two lies that we all face. This past week, I was at the Kentwood Library, and on my way in, I met a member of Church of the Servant. And we started talking, and I asked her, how are you? And she was honest. She said, said, I've been struggling lately. So much so that um, I had to seek out some help. I had to talk to a counselor because I was burdened by guilt. Because someone I love, a family member of hers, has has a long-term illness, and she, f- she has felt so guilty that she's not doing enough, that she's not there enough, that she's not caring enough, and she fe- has felt so guilty. And the counselor said, why don't you look up the word guilt in a dictionary? And it says, a guilty person has violated some law or committed some offense, 
And she realized, I haven't done that. She realized she didn't need to feel guilty. <laughs> that, that she was... She was not helping herself, and she certainly wasn't helping this family member. Because whenever she, she saw her family member, she, she felt like she wasn't doing enough. And, and she, she realized at that point, and Jesus set her free from this false sense of guilt. And she says, I have felt so much lighter, so much lighter. And I could see, I could see the light in her eyes as she smiled and, and said she's not, doesn't feel guilty anymore. Jesus says, people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. My dad gave me this oil lamp from Jerusalem. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. They put it on a lampstand so it gives light to the house. That woman's false sense of guilt was a bowl that wanted to cover the light of Christ in her. But that bowl, it's been smashed by Jesus. I'm not going to smash this bowl. I, I kind of want to. But, but that bowl, it's been smashed by Jesus. We're no longer burdened by guilt. We're forgiven. We're set free to live with joy and light. But we listen to those voices that tell us we're not enough, we'll never be enough. So why don't you hide? You should be ashamed. And we do hide. But Jesus says, you are light. You are light. After this bull warning, Jesus offers us another caution, an opposite caution, really. Was anyone at GPS this morning, adult education? Good. I missed it. So they were talking about anxiety in the lives of young people. Did they mention social media at all? No? No? Okay. Well, I'll mention social media. <laughs> You didn't get there. It was a foundation for three weeks. All right. So we'll get to social media probably. But social media has become such, such a part of our lives, especially young people. Um, and it's a wonderful tool in so many ways, but it can become a comparison trap. We, we see the best of other people's lives and we say, oh, they're so beautiful or, oh, they have so many friends that... Looks like they're having so much fun. I wish, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could have what they have. That comparison trap draws all of us in. It may sound surprising, but this trap of comparison is rooted in pride. It's rooted in pride. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis has a chapter on pride. Listen to what he says. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than someone else. 
If everyone else were equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. We get trapped in this game of comparison. And we want our lampstands to be taller and thinner and more beautiful than their lampstand. And we forget that the point is not the lampstand. The point is the lamp that gives light to the house. It's not about the lampstand. It simply holds up the lamp so that others can see in the light. It's not about us being seen. It's about the good we have to share with the world, the good that God wants to do through us in the world. And the good that we do, who gets the credit for it? That they may see your good works and give glory to Jim? No, to your Father who is in heaven. The glory belongs to the Father. Listen to what St. Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthian church. Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? As though it was all about you. Friends, we have received grace upon grace, and all the good in our lives is a gift of God. And and the glory belongs to God alone. We did not ignite the light that shines in us. That is Christ's work in us. Jesus knows this trap of comparison, which is one reason why he goes into all this talk about the law and keeping the law, and he gets to the point about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He says, you want to play the comparison game? (laughs) Check out the Pharisees. Are you better than them? They spend their whole lives trying to be more righteous and more holy than each other. That's a trap. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. It's a dead end. It leads nowhere. Because you'll never be enough. You'll never be enough. This, this mistake of pride and comparison, I wonder, I wonder deep down if it's not because we think too much of ourselves, but, but because we're afraid that we're not enough. <laughs> and so we live out a false sense that we're more than we really are. That actually, underneath that false sense of pride is really a deep fear, a deep inadequacy. C.S. Lewis ends that chapter on pride by talking about what it might be like to meet a person who isn't trapped in the comparison game, to meet a person who isn't, who isn't burdened by guilt and shame, but to meet a person who, who is free in Jesus. This is what he says about meeting that kind of person. He says, we would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. They would not always be telling us they were a nobody because a person who keeps saying they are a nobody is actually a self-obsessed person. Ouch! 
the thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel-humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility, freedom in Christ, is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less, less of the time. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or less of myself, just thinking of myself less of the time because because we've been set free to love, to love the people we meet. And, And to love others, we have to know that love for us. We have to know that when Jesus looks at us, He doesn't just see an average disciple. He sees a wondrous creation. He sees a precious child of the Father. Jesus calls us by name and he says, follow me. Not because we're great, not because we've earned anything, and not because we're dirt or pathetic, but simply because he loves us. That's what makes us lovely, is that we're loved, we're loved. And Jesus wants us to see others through eyes of love. Our whole lives are meant to be a blessing, that we let the light that Christ shines in us, we share that with others. Father Richard Rohr, reminds us what it means to be chosen and called by Jesus. He says, you're called and chosen by Jesus, so you can go let, know, let them know that they're chosen too. You're called and chosen by Jesus, so you can let them know they're called and chosen too. It's not about, it's not about you. It's not just about you. It's about what God wants to do through you for the world. The church is not a light for itself, it is a light for the world.